only hear people that are Calvinists harp on this. God sovereign, God sovereign, God sovereign, sovereign, sovereign. They just keep repeating it. And they repeat it so much, you start to think it's a biblical truth. Lessons from Judas White and Jeff Durbin. It shows in this kind of sequential format and. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really believe that it parallels the method of exegesis that we utilize to demonstrate those other things? Um, no. I said the other day in class that I don't understand the difference between hyper-Calvinism and Calvinism. It seems to me that Calvin was a hyper-Calvinist. cannot override your unbelief. Hydra is evil for causally determining Bucky to kill Tony Stark's parents, but everybody recognized that Doctor Strange is the hero in Infinity War and Endgame. In Infinity War Endgame. realize that he's gone from predeterminism, now he's speaking of some kind of middle knowledge that God now has to... I deny and categorically deny middle knowledge. Don't uh, beg the question that would demand me to force you to e embrace it. talking about necessarily God choosing something for no apparent reason, but you're choosing that meat because it's a favorable meat. There's a reason to have the choice of that meat. And now, from our bunker deep underneath Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, safe from Dave Hunt fans, latent flowers, provisionists, and future monks of the Dominican Order, we are Radio Free Geneva, the truth about God's freedom to save to his own eternal glory. I hope I hope you caught the uh, the new additions uh, to the to the soundtrack. You were probably distracted by the uh, the fact that you now had something to look at as well. Uh, Tim Bushong shredding the guitar and the drums and all that other fun stuff. Uh, but we had uh, we had two new additions. We had the uh, clip from the debate with uh, Brother Stratton there, with uh, Bucky and Stark. <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't the only funny face I made during, during that. <laughs> and it and watching Steve Tassie do the determinism middle knowledge thing is still one of the most painful things that has ever happened during uh, during a debate. No, no, no toys about it. And we are very thankful that um, 
there at the end, our new <coughs> outro, which um, well, we have a new bunker. I mean, um, and I would imagine right now there are uh, Thomas Aquinas fans <laughs> running around the campus <laughs> and Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in the cold, in the frigid cold there in uh, the Midwest looking for our bunker. You'll never find it. You'll never find it. They never found it in New Orleans. They didn't find it at Bruton Parker or wherever it was we were before. Um, we it, It's just too well hidden. It, you're not going to be able to find it. But um, but uh, uh, Jeff Durbin himself voicing the final outro to Radio Free Geneva. <laughs> and uh, future, future members of the Dominican Order. <laughs> yep, I wrote that. That's all mine. Uh, Tim had written to me and said, "Well, we need to move the bunker. So, you know, what are we going to come up with? What? What?" And I, and I, and honestly, I hadn't given it any thought. And then I'm like, "Uh, hey, how about this?" And I, and literally in a text message, da, 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 I, I, I typed it out, and we never changed it. We went with it, and, uh, and. Uh, Recent events have only confirmed the propriety <laughs> of the closing of the new video version. Thank you to Tim Bushong and his team. I'm, I'm sure he didn't do it all himself. I mean, he was playing the instruments himself, but there, you know, you have to have a cameraman and you have to do video editing and stuff like that. So I'm sure that other folks were involved, but there is our new Radio Free Geneva theme, and I'm sure people will be downloading this particular episode over and over and over again uh, just to grab uh, that out and copy it out and and make it... Um, I don't know what you're going to make it, but <laughs> do something with it. <laughs> there certainly has been some evolution over the years. Because at one point, I remember, I did... I didn't do the singing, but I we took somebody else doing the singing and the the music would just stop and then i inserted various clips from from various things um and so yeah that was many many years ago oh yeah milo my yeah we, we had we had a version by milo um but we had a, the the original versions were actual i think um steve green uh, I think it was his. I think he was the original one, as far as the the mighty fortress went. Um, but um, yeah. Anyways, well, there you go, kids. Um, you're probably not gonna listen to word I have to say the rest of the program because you only tuned in for that, anyways. But that's fine. We're we're good with that. Um, I was. We are going to uh, respond to a uh, Greg Boyd video. It's not a new video, uh, but this it's sort of representational of standard stuff that uh, standard stuff. But I came in and turned on the computer and fire up Twitter, and this was the first thing that popped up. And uh, I, I'm like, uh, okay, this is all of one minute long, and it is. It's why you do Radio Free Geneva. I mean, the, the first the first one we did was an in-depth response uh, to um, um, Adrian Rogers. I was going to say Andy Stanley. It started with an A. 
uh, Adrian Rogers and, you know, playing important parts of the sermon and responding directly. And, and so we've, we've responded to honest uh, disagreements with Reformed theology. We normally are responding to ignorant uh, attacks upon Reformed theology. But then you've got the people who just know. They, they just know. And for differing reasons, you know, um, they're willing to say things that are just so far beyond, uh, well, you'll see. So this pops up, and it's uh, Leighton Flowers, nothing new there. Uh, Warren McGrew, uh, haven't talked about him in quite some time. We, we were engaging with him fairly regularly for a while, but uh, it was very obvious that he was spinning off into all the stuff he's spun off into since then. Um, open theism and all the rest of that stuff. And, and like I said, hey, the only the only consistent Arminians and open theists, but most of them don't want to go there. Uh, Leighton Flowers um, dreams at night about uh, being an open theist. Um, yeah, that's that's what he wants to be deeply. You can just tell. Um, and his job would actually allow him. I I. I I don't know how he has time to be doing quote-unquote evangelism unless the Texas Baptists think that anti-Calvinism is evangelism. And at that point, that explains why he has all the time that he does um, to do that kind of stuff. Uh, but um, anyway, Warren McGrew is the one doing the primary speaking here. And then you've got this uh, new kid on the block, Jordan Hatfield. We responded to one of his videos, and, and it's sort of the foundation of all the rest of his stuff, and once that's gone, all the rest of it isn't all that relevant. It's not really anything new, um, though he seems to think that it is. Sort of weird, but anyways, uh, this popped up on my screen, and I'm, I'm just like, okay, so that's how you all want me to start this. All right, we'll do it. Um, here is a, it's, it's only one minute long. It's only one minute long. He, how how deranged does man's love affair with his autonomy, how far does that go? How, how much can it twist you? How much, how, how much can you sit there and hold this book in your hands and say you actually believe it? How far can you go in how you twist what it says? That's sort of how what we're going to see here um listen to these comments from these three men and um well here we go it made mention Leighton, of like well you know if i'm elect and my children aren't you know that's okay and i just wanted to highlight how that's the same kind of spirit and mindset that the ancient worshipers of pagan deities would engage in when they would sacrifice their children to baal because as long as i get my good crops i'm willing to throw my child on the pyre as long as i am being blessed financially i'm willing to throw my child on the pyre it's the same mindset where they're like well god may have eternally reprobated my child but as long as i get into heaven i'm cool with that i don't know about you guys but i mean i've got four children if god's the kind of god that would reprobate your child how do Layton, you have just, the kind of worship and love for that version Layton, of god i Layton, 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 Layton. 
you're just making God in your own image. You just want God to be to be like you. You want him to align with your own moral standards. And who are you? How about, man how about the image God? of First Corinthians 13? How, how about that image yeah, of God? How about that? How about it? So, so there you go. One minute of absolute foolishness. Uh, I have no respect for anyone who spoke and what was just said. From what was just said. First of all, Leighton Flowers claims to have been a Calvinist. Again, demonstrating that's either a bold-faced lie or he is just willing to be so wildly dishonest that it's not even funny. Um, if he was ever reformed, then the only proper response to Warren McGrew's absurdity, because, <laughs> hey, as long as I get in, I'm cool with my children not being saved, is one of the dumbest things I've ever, one of the dumbest objections I've ever heard anyone make. It's not that it's not a vitally important subject. It's just these men don't treat it with any kind of seriousness at all. It's just, it's, oh, it's horrible. I, I, wow, uh, I don't even know how to how to address it. But anyway, Layton's response upon hearing what Warren McGrew said should have been, sir, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a former Calvinist, and, and while I disagree with Calvinism now, I recognize the absurdity of what you just said. In fact, we're done here and cut it off. That That would have been the only appropriate thing to do. But instead, he runs with it. He plays with it. Um, so let's let and then and then Hatfield just is in thrown in there for the fun of it. Even though the irony is, the first thing he says is absolutely true. The first thing he says is, "Yeah, you're just forming God after your own own conception of creatureliness," which is exactly right. Uh, he's 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 correct about that. Um, and of course, Leighton then runs off to, uh, give us his understanding of what love is supposed to look like amongst human beings, as if that somehow determines how God is supposed to create and things like that. But again, the man-centeredness of all of these men is astonishing. And that's why we're never going to agree, uh, because the reality is um, we will never agree until there is a willingness on the part of all to be conformed to everything this teaches and to recognize that this teaches we are creatures, God is our creator, and that massive chasm is only crossed in the person of Jesus Christ, and that is in accomplishing the purposes that Father, Son, and Spirit have already determined. But let's talk about the main thing that was said. Um, Calvinists are just fine with uh, putting their children on the pyre, sacrificing their children in the way that Moloch did, as long as they get into heaven. I've never heard anything more stupid in my life. I really haven't. I'll just be honest. There, that, there is not a scintilla of honesty in what Warren McGrew said. He's not a stupid man, so he's just a massively dishonest man. That's just all there is. It's horrible. I cannot believe... There is no reason to... You know, people say, well, you know, we need to have niceness in our conversation. You can listen to that and then tell me I need to be that way? <laughs> okay. Well, seems only goes one direction, doesn't it? Yeah. Look, uh, 
let's think about some of God's elect down through history found in Scripture. Now, I think we all agree that David was a man after God's own heart, even though he committed sins. It's, we all understand that. And yet he saw what happened with his own children, and his heart was grieved. And we know anybody who has a scintilla of understanding or a scintilla of honesty knows that Reformed people pray for their children. Now, these people then go, well, you shouldn't have to because they're created, you should have to pray. Look, I know you don't understand prayer. I, don't, I, I know you don't have the slightest interest in accurately representing the other side because you don't have any interest in us listening to what you have to say. This is just for your own people. It's the red meat or the chosen meat or, what, or the prime meat or whatever. Huh? Yeah, choice. Thank you. The choice meat. You're just throwing red meat out, and it's to get clicks and stuff like that. I, I, I get it. All right. But if you had honesty, then you would never have played along this, this, and you would have said, look, Calvinists believe that God ordains the ends and the means. The means is what takes place in time. That means our... Uh, striving for biblical justice versus man's perversion of justice. Our striving um, for freedom so that the gospel can be proclaimed to people. All these things are good things that we are to strive for because we don't know what God's decree is. We know what the end of it is going to be. We don't know how we're to get there. We know that everything along the way is going to glorify God in the final analysis. But we are given God's prescriptive will. His law tells us what his character is like, and we know that we are to instruct our children. We know that we are to pray for our children. We know that we are to to do everything we can to make sure that they hear clearly the message and that we uh, represent that message in how we live our lives. One of the most beautiful things I've seen of late, I've I decided not to retweet it just because it would have... There's just people out there that wouldn't understand it. But um, my daughter, I don't know if you saw this, Rich, but my daughter tweeted, day four, I think it was day four yesterday, something along these lines. Um, something along the lines, the, the greatest gift that, one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me is that from the time I could understand, I have believed that the Bible is truly and fully the Word of God, without question. Because that's what we, that's not only what we taught, but we, you know, she sat on, I've, I've got the video of her at nine years of age, sitting on the front row when I'm debating Muslims uh, on the deity of Christ in 1999. Um, we teach our children that. We show that in how we live the Word of God and trust the Word of God, and interact with the world. My kids remember sitting in the back of our, I forget what year it was, it was a Ford, um, was, was that an Escort? I think it was, I think it was an Escort? He's, 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 it's so long ago. It was a used car that we thankfully were given sort of by D.L. Culliver. Anyway, um, we're driving around, and they've got their... They've, I bought these little whiteboards for them with the little erasable markers. Those were fairly new back then. 
<laughs> New tech. And we're doing Christian worldview stuff. We're doing how, how the Christian faith interfaces with what's going on in the world. And we'd be talking about what, I don't know, was it Clinton or whoever it was back then, what they were doing and what does the Word of God say. This is how you show these things. You demonstrate these things to your children. Now, I don't know what came before this. Maybe it was something along the lines of, well, you know, as a Calvinist, you just you have to accept that there is no promise. Now, this is this okay. Now we get into real theology, not this kind of stuff. There is no promise that every one of your children is going to be elect. That's I think there I've got some Presbyterian friends that actually struggle with that. Um, I I think they actually have a different viewpoint on that, and that 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 does concern me. Um, but the fact is, there there is no promise in Scripture that the faith is going to be genetically passed on. And one of the great heartbreaks of any Christian parent is to see their offspring going astray, rejecting the faith, joining another religion, whatever it might be. And it's easy to go, well, where did I fail here? Where Because none of us have ever been perfect. But then again, the reality is that if you understand the freedom of grace, the freedom of gra- grace must be free. Grace cannot be demanded. Grace is, is an effectual power from God that accomplishes his own glorious purposes. And it is free in its exercise by God. If it's demanded, it's no longer grace. It's now a, I give you this, you give me that. It's a, it's a quid pro quo type system uh, that most religions have. What makes Christianity different is the grace of God is free. It cannot be demanded. And in fact, it has been rightly said, it's, not, it's, not, it's normally called unmerited grace. It's actually demerited grace. It is favor toward those who rightfully should receive punishment from a holy God, but instead receive his grace. And so you cannot demand that of your children. Now, again, um, I don't know where the one guy is, but we know that Leighton wants to be an open theist, and, and Warren McGrew is an open theist. Um. So, they're stuck with some kind of prevenient grace, which is an unbiblical concept. You'll find it nowhere in Scripture. And it's the, it's the cheap cellophane tape that holds synergism together. You've got to have, have it in there somewhere, or you might as well go ahead and get the Pelagius tattoo that you really would like to get anyways. And so, prevenient grace is this idea that God is helping people along. Um, we're gonna we're gonna hear this from Greg Boyd in a second, um, but but the reality is there is no such thing as prevenient grace in Scripture. Uh, I remember buying a book on prevenient grace about ten years ago, and I was just you know okay, I want to see what the arguments are. There were no arguments. It was it was pure philosophy. There was no exegesis um, because it's just it's just simply not there. And so, as an open theist. Are you saying that God 
is trying with everybody, but it's not up to him anyways. See, it's real easy to do. Remember, um, in a number of the debates, people have, you know, George Bryson at the end of the debate in, what was that, 2001, something like that. Uh, you know, what about your children? Uh, what about your parents? Uh, and, it, and it's like, I'm like, oh, so you would rather trust the sinful hearts, the rebellious hearts of your children or your parents than God. Because all you're doing is saying, oh, it's up to them. God's done everything he can. There's nothing more God can do. There's nothing more that God can do than he's already done. There's no reason for you to be praying. Is there? Are you going to try to make God work harder for the salvation of your children? See, when we pray, we are asking God to change us to make us better instruments in his hand of his grace. But I cannot sit there and say, because you have been gracious to me, you must be gracious to my children as well. I cannot demand that. That shows such a fundamental, man-centered, yes, full-on Pelagian understanding of grace. Yes. Yes, definitely. Most definitely. That's what it's all about. So they don't have, you know, they don't have any other answer to the serious question of how you deal with your children that is any more biblical or balanced or anything else than what Reformed people live and practice when they seek to raise their children in the admonition of the Lord. Okay? They got nothing. So to sit there and stare at that camera and lie through your teeth that what Reformed parents are doing is, hey, as long as I get mine, who cares what you do with my kids? There is no reason to listen to another word that man has to say until he absolutely apologizes for such utter foolishness. And I, I'll be honest, I don't listen to him anyway. <laughs> I stopped listening to him quite some time ago because it was, it was just obvious there was no reason to do so anymore. But for anybody else, that is absolutely disqualifying. No possible way out of that one. None whatsoever. So what causes people to do this kind of thing? Well, in his case, for years and years and years, he, he's been railing against the truth. You know, you bang your head against a solid wall long enough, it does have, you know, results. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause problems. It's going to cause problems. And you, you can't change what this teaches, and so you just become more and more desperate over time. And that's what you see with these folks. And it's... It's a sad thing to observe. So, anyway, I was only, it's only a minute long. This is a 10 minute song. How are we going to get to all of it? Uh, I'll have to play longer clips. But Greg Boyd is a well known uh, open theist, annihilationist, anti penal substitutionary atonement, pacifist, neo Anabaptist theologian. How's that? Uh, I first heard of him um, in his uh, conflicts with John Piper. Uh, back in the day when Piper was trying to get uh, Boyd and his group kicked out of a Baptist group up there in the Minnesota area. Man, has Minnesota fallen into a hole. That's my native state. Sad. But anyway, um, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> politically there, not anything else. Uh, 
And so he does a um, nine minute and 46 second thing here on why we believe in free will. And so I will try to uh, get through it. You know, let me... Uh, playback speed. Look at that. It has a playback speed selector. Yeah, <laughs> I love one thing. Like that. We're going to go to 110%. Try to get it done a little faster. How's that sound? Um, all right. Let's, um, let's listen to what uh, Gregory Boyd has to say. This is where George Whitfield and John Wesley split apart. See, George, George Whitfield uh, believed, like many people have believed throughout history, and many people today believe, believe that everything is predestined by God before the world even is created. Everything's predestined, pre predetermined. And so whether it's good or evil, it's pre pre predetermined. I'd prefer if they use the term, um, God has a sovereign decree. He works all things after the counsel of his will, but there you go. Whether it's a blessing or a curse, it's predetermined. Whether you go to heaven or hell is predetermined. If, if you're predestined to go to heaven, you're one of God's chosen, the elect. If you're predestined to go to hell, well, then you're one of the reprobate. And they believe that the majority of people are actually predestined to go to hell. Uh, and George Whitfield believed... Well, uh, again, that depends on your eschatology. <laughs> Um, there, there are certainly a lot of people that would have that view, but it's not necessary to the system to believe that the majority is supposed to go into hell. That, uh, for that reason, that Jesus died just for the elect. His death was only for the elect. Yeah, so in other words, there's harmony between what the Son does and what the Father decrees. I realize the other side just doesn't think this way. I realize that they, they, you know, they're, they're not trying to present the strongest the other side, but it, you know, they, they might get farther if they recognized what it was they were objecting to. We're saying that there is perfect harmony between what the Father elects to do and what the Son accomplishes in redemption. And when you just stop and ask somebody, and your objection to that is exactly what again? He wouldn't die for the people that the Father predestined to go to hell. That would be weird for the Son trying to yep. save people that he knows the Father is predestined not to be saved. Yep. Yep. That wouldn't make any sense at all. Right. And so they believed in what's called limited atonement. Jesus died only for the elect. John Wesley was revolted, repulsed by this picture of God. Yeah, you know, Wesley says some horrible things. He really, I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of orthodoxy that Wesley really detested. John Wesley, not Charles Wesley. Um, yeah, there's some real issues Boy, where, as I said earlier, uh, he said, this picture of God is worse than the devil. Uh, for John Wesley, uh, he saw this as as introducing a duplicity in God that you don't find in the devil. In the devil, you know what you're getting with the devil. He's evil. Everyone knows that. He's evil. You see it coming. But John says in this picture of God, God is controlling the devil, and yet God is supposed to be all holy and all good as he's controlling the devil, who is now supposed to be evil for doing what God controls him to do. And John said that makes God worse than the devil. So, okay. Uh, you know, all we can do is, if you just put it down in the down the corner, that it would probably be easier than switching back and forth because I'm going to be making comments. Um but unfortunately, what happens in this particular uh, presentation is instead, what people don't hear, all they hear is the objection. They don't hear what's being offered in its place. So if, if God isn't, if God does not have control over Satan, you now have Gnosticism. You have two equal powers, light and darkness. And in open theism, you're... <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're, he's not going to be even consistent along those lines as far as being an open theist here in a little bit. I'll, I'll point that out when we get to it. Um, but you always have to ask, what is the other option? You, you can use emotion to get people to agree with your objection, but what are they offering in its place? 
Uh, he, he thought there was a duplicity there. It's like God says he loves everybody, but then he damns uh, the, the majority of people to go to hell. What kind of love is that? And God says he loves everybody, uh, but, but he, he isn't demonstrated. And God tells us to love everybody, uh, but then he doesn't. So God can only have one kind of love, and so redemptive love and common grace, he can't have a lot of stuff. It's, 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 and he's got to be reduced down to our levels. That's what, what he's doing with all of this type of stuff. It's a common, this is again, very, very common kind of argumentation, and Reformed people need to be prepared to hear it, and then not allow it to get you off the track of what you want to get to. So if if you are talking about particular redemption or something like that, and somebody starts wandering off into this stuff, you don't chase the rabbit. You you stay focused upon where you want to go. So that makes him hypocritical. He doesn't practice what he preaches. And God then tells us to resist sin, but predestines the sinners to sin. What's up with that? And God... What's up with that is not a deep theological comment, okay? What's up, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, because there, there there have been um, entire discussions going back into the early church on this particular subject, and what's up with that does not exactly summarize the more serious conversations <laughs> that have taken place in regards to primary and secondary means and purposes and intentions and. Uh, eternal covenant of redemption, all the rest of that kind of stuff that goes into it. It says he hates evil, but he predestines evil. And God tells us to fight evil, but then he, he, pre- he predestines the evil that we're supposed to fight. And, he- and as an open theist, um, God didn't even know it was going to exist when he created, and there's nothing you can do about it. See, that's the rest of it that you need to hear. That, that's the rest of it. It's real easy to do the objection part. It's real easy to try to rile up people's emotions like Warren McGrew did. But to give something positive on the other side. When God created, God did not, this man does not believe God knew he was even going to exist when he created the universe. Because any one of us is the result of um, billions of free choices. And according to open theism, God can't know what free creatures are going to do. So he can't know what the outcome of that is going to be. All he can know is what he's going to do in the natural world. The interesting thing is he's, going to sort of deny that a little bit later on, so I'm not sure how that exactly works. And whether we fight it or not is something that's predestined. John saw that as being duplicitous, and therefore he said it is worse than the devil, and that's why the two had to split apart. John, in contrast to that, didn't believe that everything was predestined. Some things are predestined, but not, not the choices that free agents make. And I'd like to know what things are predestined. Because later on, he's going to say tsunamis, earthquakes, stuff like that, you know, this isn't a part of God's will. Then, then what is predestined? What is predestined? Because if, if God does not have exhaustive knowledge of future events, there's nothing that can be predestined. How can, how can God predestine the exact time of the incarnation and hence the, the ministry, life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, if all the people that are to be a part of that, was Herod supposed to be a part of that? Was Pontius Pilate supposed to be a part of that? Of course they were. So how do you know they're going to exist? God can't know these things. Not, not an open theism. How can he know? Even if, they, if, if, if you take a simple foreknowledge view, you still are left, if God just simply takes a snapshot, sees what time's going to be, it's not him determining that it's going to be Herod and Pontius Pilate. It just happened to be Herod and Pontius Pilate that were involved, and God uses that. That's, 
that that it, it, there's no there's no active sovereignty there. There is only a passive, hey, look, I win, praise me type of sovereignty that's involved in that kind of a situation. We here within those church stand in that tradition. We believe that people and angels have free will. We believe in free will for a number of reasons. We see throughout the Bible that God gives choices to people. So in Deuteronomy 30, for example, the Lord says, I set before you today uh, blessings and curses, life and death. And then he says, choose life, choose life, uh, that, that, that you and your children may live. And of course, we fully and completely accept that men make choices, that God exhorts, God pleads. All these things are perfectly true. It is only those who want to smash the rich, full revelation down into just two little levels, just squish it on down. And, well, if God's going to call us um, to do something, then there can't be a divine decree. Because my mind's not big enough to put those things together. So my God's never going to be any bigger than what my mind can conceive. And that's what they're left with. It's, it's pitiful. It's sad. But that's what they end up with. God wants us to choose life, but he doesn't make us choose life. We can choose death if we want. We see this just kind of woven throughout the whole Bible. Uh, we believe in free will because we see places where, where, where people resist God's will, even thwart God's will. So, for example, in Luke 7, it says that the Pharisees and other experts in the law, they, they, they resisted God's purpose. They rejected God's purpose for themselves. God I've often said to people, if you see someone quoting from Luke 7 on this one, they just don't know what they're talking about. They just, they've never really thought it through seriously. And, and I know he's considered to be a real important theologian and stuff like that. Maybe he's grown since this point in time. I don't know. It seems like this is a long time ago. I think the resolution is only 640 by 480, so it could be way back there sometime. I didn't look at what the time was. But um, the, the, the problem is, of course, that you have God's prescriptive will. You have God's law. This is where God reveals what his purposes for mankind are, and every act of sin is a rejection of God's purpose for mankind, but that doesn't mean that men are thwarting God's decree. God's prescriptive will and his decretive will are not the same thing, and I, you can stand on your head and spin in circles. It's too easy to prove that they're plainly taught in Scripture. You have to sacrifice the consistency of Scripture to get around that reality. It, is, it comes straight from the pages. You cannot interpret Isaiah chapter 10 without that distinction. You can't do it. It flows directly from the text. You, you just, you're just rebelling against the text when you try to get around it. So there you go. It had a purpose for them, and it was good, because God is good, and all of his purposes are good. But these folks and people in general have the ability to reject it, to thwart it. C.S. Lewis thought that the greatest act of omnipotence was making creatures who could say no to him. I, I agree with that. Uh, folks have the ability to say no to God's will. We believe in free will because we, we see that in the Bible, God wants everyone to be saved. God is patient, Peter says. God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance and turn and have a relationship with him. He wants everybody to be part of this. Yeah, and of course, we've gone through Second uh, Peter 3, 9, uh, dozens and dozens of times on Radio Free Geneva over the years. Uh, there's an entire chapter in, uh, in The Potter's Freedom on the Big Three. And the fact of the matter is, there is a contextual, linguistic, grammatically correct, contextually accurate reading of that text that does not require you to believe that God does not have a sovereign decree of election. Okay? Same thing with 1 Timothy 2, same thing with Matthew 23. Um, and yet these folks just repeat these things 
as if they've actually done the work to completely refute those other readings, when normally, to be honest with you, they don't even show knowledge of what those readings are. They, they, it is, they, they just repeat them as if they're, it's, it's a mantra. Uh, we believe in free will because we see throughout the Bible when God, when God is rejected, it, it grieves his heart. His heart breaks. He doesn't always get his way. He loves people, but people sometimes don't love him back. Uh, and, and so, for example, in Romans, it says, he's quoting Isaiah here, uh, the Lord says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to this obstinate and disobedient people, all day long. And you get a picture of God here stretching out his arms saying, come to me, I want to give you life, I want to give you myself, I want you to share in my, the bliss of my eternal love. But we have the ability to be obstinate and disobedient and say no. And, if- and from his perspective, God did not even know it was going to happen. God's shocked, he's stunned. And yet we read the Bible and go, but Israel's rejection is actually a part of what brings about the Messiah and the, their rejection of the Messiah is central to his bringing about a salvation. And how do you even come up with this kind of stuff? Uh, and I just go, I don't know, but you know, you're an open theist. What do you, what do, you do? It breaks his heart. Throughout the Bible, you see a God who, whose heart gets broken. And then you find, uh, as we read the Bible, we believe in free will because... We see that Jesus died for everybody. John says he didn't die just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. I don't know how much, how much clearer you can get. Uh, yeah, how much clearer can you get? In light of the fact that the original audience hearing that would not have had your individualistic Westerner understanding. Well, that means every single individual has ever lived or ever will live, but of all kinds, Jew, Jew and Gentile. That's how they would have heard it. You don't hear it that way. And then you don't make any type of meaningful application in the sense that you go, oh, yeah, that means Jesus died for the Amorite high priest um, that was destroyed uh, by the Israelites when they went to Canaan. And God never sent him a, a prophet, and they never even had a chance to hear. But Jesus died for him anyways. That's brilliant. Why does Jesus bear the sins of someone who will never be saved again? Exactly. Why is that? And they can't answer that question. Uh, and and, and he's, he, what he's getting at here is... Uh, Really, he's confronting this. Don't ever think that you're some kind of special class where Jesus only died for you, but not them. And I would agree. I'd agree. Don't, don't think you're some special class. We are, we are not some special class. The only reason that anyone is an heir of, of saving faith and grace is the free gift of God, not because of anything in us. That's what, oh, what's the term? Oh, unconditional election is. It's not because we fulfill a condition it's because God's grace is free. No, 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 no. He, he died for you. That's wonderful. But he died for everybody. He died for everybody. And that's why we want to share this good news with everybody. Because his death does not actually bring about salvation at all. It just, it just makes it possible if you'll do this, that, or the other thing. Well, that's, that's the difference between a, a Savior who saves and a Savior who makes salvation possible. Uh provides, <laughs> but does not save. God wants everybody to be saved. And so we here at Wilderness Church are passionate about preaching that God loves everybody, and Jesus died for everybody, and God wants everybody to come in the kingdom. It's free for all. Like we say a little earlier, it's free for all. Whom the Son says free is free indeed, and the Son wants to set everybody free. Everybody. 
And we can proclaim that message to everybody without denying God's sovereignty, without denying God's knowledge, without turning God into someone who's who's disappointed and who's constantly changing and everything else. We can do that because we can proclaim the message, repent and believe to everyone, knowing that the only people that are actually going to do that are those in whom the Spirit of God is working and working effectively to the glory of God, not to the glory of them. We can do the exact same thing and get people clapping and the whole nine yards. Ooh, the emotions. But we don't have to sacrifice, well, the God of the Bible in the process. Everybody. And, and if, if he wants to set everybody free, it means he wants to set you free. And if God loves everybody, it means he loves you. 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 I, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you've committed, however gross, however heinous, however ugly, however mean-spirited, however debaucherous, however diabolical, whatever murder you've done, you can be the worst sinner on the planet. I'm here to tell you that God loves you. Jesus died for you, and God wants a relationship with you. No ifs, ands, buts, or qualifications. That's it. Set. Simple, straightforward. He loves you. See, if some are in and some are out, then some of us are sure that we're out. It's just the way our brain works. The only way. It, it, that, is that supposed to be an objection? Is that supposed to be an argument? If some are in and some are out, then some will be convinced that they're out. Um. Um. Okay. What? <laughs> Is that somehow supposed to explain Isaiah 10? Is that supposed to explain God's dealings with Israel, uh, his destruction of, of, of Egypt, uh, his sending of prophets to Israel and not to anybody else? Is that supposed to explain Ephesians 1 or Romans 9 or Romans 8 or any of that kind of stuff? It doesn't explain any of it. It's just rhetoric. Uh, but it, it gets... And, and, and people just get emotionally involved and... Once they are emotionally involved and emotionally committed, then you can show them all the scripture in the world. And unless the Spirit of God places within them the conviction, I need to know sola scriptura and tota scriptura. I need to, I need to know these things. I, I need to act in light of those commitments. I need to know what scripture teaches. Uh, you're not going to get anywhere. But at the same time, on the other side, I've seen it over and over again. People who were introduced to the faith in what we would call a defective fashion. Um, as one of my former elders used to say, God can draw a straight line, the crooked stick. And so you can have people who are uh, not exactly accurate in their understanding of the gospel and yet bring a message that, that God uses to bring someone to faith and salvation. And once they hear the message, I, I, so many people I've talked to, I, I, I'll never, ever, ever forget. And he came up to me um, just a few years ago. I think at G3. Yeah, G3. Uh, Maybe even been this year. Or last year. Anyway, uh, this guy comes up to me after a class where I've just gone through Romans 9. And he's like, you know, I'd read Romans 9 before. And that sounded like election, but I didn't think we believed that. And it's like, yep, that's... <laughs> it's." right there and it and it's like yeah you know i've been seeing this stuff and it it's left me confused and once they find out that yeah actually people have been talking about this for a long time it really helps them out a lot hey that i can be confident that i can be in is if that if if everyone is invited to be in and uh um, so god wants to have a relationship with you whoever you are now he won't force you he won't force you he doesn't want a relationship with a puppet that's not a relationship he wants a relationship with you the person and therefore it's a relationship that you have to choose see there's there's he, ha he does not have anything even close to a biblical anthropology. Doesn't believe that man is dead in sin. Doesn't believe that, that you know, doesn't believe what Romans 8 says, that you, you can't, cannot even do what is pleasing to God, cannot submit yourself to the law of God. 
Uh, those who are slaves to sin need to be set free by the Son. Uh, and of course, there are some people to try to say, well, that's what prevenient grace does. It sets you free. Da, 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 da. Uh, there's nothing like that in Scripture whatsoever. That's not what Jesus ends up saying in John chapter 8. Anyways, but they don't have a biblical anthropology. You know, honestly, Rich, it looks like someone's coming at you with a gun right now. You're looking this other direction, and you're you're looking like someone is right around the corner, and they, they've got a gun on you. I, I mean, what what world were you on, right? What were you... Oh, okay. See, Rich isn't able to put this into a little box, the way I said, and he's sitting there staring at the moon, wondering... Why can't I do this? And it's because of something he did to play the opening. Okay? And 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 because he has the outro queued up. So we have to blame... I'll tell you what. Let's blame Tim. What do you think? <laughs> Tim? What are you doing, man? Come on. You're messing us up here. <laughs> Everybody's just... We're just rolling along, and, and all of a sudden, I, I just look up, and I just had to stop, because he's just like... I was just worried that that you know the the terrorists had broken in the synergists, uh, Leighton Flowers, Warren McGrew had just gotten into the front door. I don't know. That's right. I I don't have a car here today, so I I need to ride home. So um, anyway, all right, back. <laughs> I I might get this done. That I'm not sure. Let's see. He won't force you as much as he wants you. He won't force you. The relationship's got to be real, and you can only choose him. Because his grace is already operating in your life. You couldn't ah. choose him on your own if his grace wasn't already there. But that, that catch that? See, that's, that's something that, that I think Leighton realizes. If you accept that, you're in trouble. <laughs> because I've heard him say stuff that, that he's like, I'm not so sure about that. That's the prevenient grace stuff. And again, I just, I say it boldly, but I, there is no such thing as prevenient grace. I mean, aside from the fact that it's not a biblical phrase, I don't even, I'm not, biblicism doesn't mean that you demand that those words appear in the Bible. What I'm saying is, there is nothing in the Bible that presents to you a concept of some kind of grace that is just given to everybody to sort of push them along in the right direction, maybe undo the effects of original sin, something like this, to, to get them going the right, the right way so they can make the decision. There's nothing like that in Scripture. God's grace actually saves. There's saving grace. There's redemptive grace. There's restraining grace. But there is no prevenient grace. It's an unbiblical category. It's a, it's a theological tradition that came out of Roman Catholicism, out of the medieval period, and entered into people like John Wesley, where they compromised the Reformation, fundamentally. Grace won't force you to choose him. And so if you're here listening to this and there's a pull on your heart, any kind of pull, that is God's grace. That's the Holy Spirit working right there. Your job is to yield, to yield, to just say, okay, and now surrender the Holy Spirit inside of you, surrender your life to Christ, and start living for him. Because we believe in free will. You notice that the gospel for Greg Boyd is not a command. Uh, it, you know, just, just yield. 
Just yield. It's it's this it's this exhortation, but not a command. And and of course, you know, most of us who have again gotten out of uh, the halls of academia and gone out on the streets, we know that all sorts of other groups use that very kind of language. Now, one of the reasons that I even knew about Boyd years ago is he wrote uh, an apologetics book for his dad, who was an atheist. But it was a, an apologetics book that was quite problematic, um, as you can tell. I mean, if your theology is as bad as Greg Boyd's is on the doctrine of God... Uh, your apologetics is always going to defend what it is you actually believe. We are able to say God wants everybody in. Ali, Ali, and free, it's free for all. <laughs> Come on in. Come on in. Whoever, whoever uh, will say yes is on, on the end. And, and because we believe in free will, we don't have to say that whenever a tragedy happens, it was God's will. You know, when, when the tsunami kills thousands and the, the, the famine kills millions, we don't think that was God's perfect plan for their life. Now, now, did you catch that? This is what I was saying earlier. Is that this isn't... Wait a minute. Famine? Tsunami? Earthquake? Um, the open theists that I've dealt with have all said the same thing. That what God does know of the future is what he's going to do in the natural world, which includes tsunamis, earthquakes, so on and so forth. So if... If that's not a part of God's will, then how does God know anything? God created a world where there were going to be tsunamis, but he didn't know when they were going to happen? How on earth does he accomplish anything? How on earth does he accomplish anything? How can he know that anyone's going to exist at any one given time? He may be working to create a certain... He may be working to create the 12, the 12 apostles. And then a tsunami comes along and wipes eight of them out. He's got to start all over again. He might never even get around to having Jesus come because every time he starts getting close, earthquake, famine, war, something happens. A tree limb falls and and you lose one of the 12 apostles. He's got to start all over again. I mean, you just have to, you just have to recognize that the reason that Christians down through the ages never had these kind of views is because they, they make... Everything absurd. They make everything absurd. That's glorifying God. Uh, Whitfield would say, oh, it's all predestined for his glory, but we don't see anything God glorifying about starving children. And, and when the endless, mindless wars go on throughout history and, and, and the atrocities caused by Hitler, 10 million people died under Hitler and Stalin and the rest, we don't think that was planned by God or predestined by God or enjoyed by God. No, it's, he hates it. He, that's stuff he hates. He's against that. He doesn't predestine that. He fights that. And he created a world where it was going to happen. And he didn't even know it was coming. He didn't even know it was possible. He created the entire world with the possibility that all of that could happen. And he didn't even know. That's open theism. That's open theism. And you can buy into it if you want to. Just throw this out the door when you do it. Because you don't believe this. That's not. I've, I've listened to atheists. Talk about this and go, well, it's, it's obvious what the Bible teaches, predestination, election, like that's clear. They can see it, but these guys can't. All evil, all evil is a result of wills other than God. That's our, our conviction, whether it's human wills or angelic wills or a combination of the two. Uh, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Man, that sounds a little Gnostic there, doesn't it? Some angelic wills 
Uh, that's where evil comes from, is angelic wills. And sounds like you've got a little light darkness thing going on here. And, you know, is, is, is Martian hiding in the background there? I don't know. Will is always good, and his plans are always good, and his purpose is always good. It's people, fallen people, and fallen angels who screw things up. This world is all crappy because of, of other wills than God. God is always good. And so when, when you have kidnapped children and, and people sold into sexual slavery and unthinkable things done to these little kids, and, and, and when the terrorist goes into a market and blows himself up and kills dozens of innocent people with them, we don't think that was God's plan for their life. That wasn't predestined by God or willed by God. That was the terrorist who thought that. Maybe there's influence of demonic spirits on top of it, but it wasn't God. It wasn't God. God. Yeah, God cannot will anything to his glory. God has to simply run with whatever man does. He's just, he's the great responder in the sky. You know, no decree. <laughs> Got a few steps there. <laughs> That's my watch going, hey, you made your gold. It's like, nope, nope, sorry. Um, <laughs> God can't decree anything. God can't accomplish anything. He's the great responder in the sky. And he's just constantly having to respond to what we're doing. And man, these days, he must be really busy. Uh, you know, can you imagine God sitting up there going, drag queen story hour? Transgenderism? What, what has my creation done? That's the God of open theism. I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't see it coming. God is involved in all of the evil, but not to cause it. He's involved to minimize it. He's involved to bring good out of it. Minimize it? How does he minimize it without, without destroying the free will of man? What is, minimize it? What's that? Oh. And the promise that he gives to all who will follow him is that if we'll, if we'll surrender all the stuff in our life to him, then everything we've suffered or everything we've made someone else suffer, every evil that's been done to us or every evil that we've done to others, it all can be used to his advantage and the advantage of the kingdom. He'll, it says in Romans 8.28 that God is involved in all things, working it together for the better, for those who love the Lord. And are it does not say he's involved in all things. He's working all things. It's based upon a sovereign theology that Greg Boyd doesn't even believe in. That's all there is to it. Look, not much more in there to, uh, to get to. And there is one other thing I want to do. This has nothing to do with Radio Free Geneva. I'm sorry. Um, but the next program probably won't be till Tuesday. And unfortunately, most people will have forgotten this uh, by the time we um, get around to Tuesday. And so there is something that I wanted to do. I need to do it quickly because we need to uh, get going and where to go. Um, well, that's interesting. Uh, oh, there it is. Okay, never mind. Yeah, there it is. All right. Um, real quickly here, okay. I love Alistair Begg. Uh, love his accent, obviously. Um, September of last year, this has just come out, September 17th, 2023, um, an interview about a sermon that he preached. And at the end, he makes comments that have left most everyone completely lost. Um here's a man, again, with um, as many years in ministry, consistent ministry as I have. Um, so, decades. And the Lord has used him mightily and great insights. But we're all influenced by the society in which we live. 
And so I'm going to play uh, what he said, make some brief comments, and then we'll we'll wrap up. Um, so here it is. The moment, can you come alongside me, learning to say, yes, I know that these people believe a very different agenda, that their lifestyle is orientated in another direction, and learning to say, but I have no basis upon which I could argue that I would, myself would not be where they are, were it not for the amazing grace of God, were it not for his compassion towards me. And in very specific areas, this comes across. I mean, you and I know that we field questions all the time that go along the lines of, uh, my grandson is about to be married to a transgender person, and I don't know what to do about this, and I'm calling to ask you to tell me what to do, which is a huge responsibility. And in a conversation like that just a few days ago, um, and uh, people may not like this answer, but <laughs> I, asked the, I asked the grandmother, does your grandson understand your uh, belief in Jesus? Yes. Does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance uh, in any affirming way, the choices that he has made in life. Yes. I said, well, then, okay, as long as he knows that, then I suggest that you do go to the ceremony, mm. and I suggest that you buy them a gift. Mm. Oh, she said, what? She was caught off guard. I said, well, here's the thing. You're not going to, your, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared mm. to countenance anything. And it is a fancy, it is a fine line, isn't it? It really yeah. is. And people need to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we're going to take that risk. Uh, it, Alistair, it's not a fine line. Um, it's, a, it's a clear biblical line. Now, look, we need to, we need to acknowledge what he said. Um, he said, do they know? He said, your, your faith in Jesus. I'm not sure exactly. That's a little vague. Uh, do, do they know that you, you do not count limits, that this is a proper thing to do? Because we're not talking about homosexual marriage here. We're talking about transgenderism. So we're, we're talking about, I mean, what does that even make it? Does that make it a male-female marriage? I mean, when you think about it, I, I, I don't even know. I mean, that's, I, there are really horribly messy things that happen in the world today. But marriage is established by God. And it is not, you know, to, to say that we should not attend a homosexual marriage, or especially a transgender marriage, which I don't even know what that would look like. I, I mean, is that a guy marrying a guy who's pretending to be a girl? Or, or a girl who's pretending to be a guy? I, I, I can't even figure that one out. But all of those are blasphemies of marriage itself. And hence, to attend and to bring a gift is to demonstrate where your commitment is. The grandma had the right sense. She, she had a basic, proper sense and recognition that there's something disordered here. There's something wrong here. And it's not a fine line. It is a line that takes courage. It's a line that takes commitment. 
It's a line that takes commitment to saying that marriage is defined by God and that therefore to attend to the blasphemy of that established reality is something a believing Christian simply must refuse to do. Now, I can't speculate as to why Alistair Begg would come to this conclusion, why he would, for example, say this demonstrates judgmentalism or narrowness or an unwillingness. I, I, I don't know. I, I know that my, my mother country in many years past is in full-scale wild rebellion against God's way and God's truth. That's for sure. I mean, Scotland is, wow, what a mess Scotland is in. But I don't think that's what's going on here. At least I wouldn't expect it to be. So I don't understand this. What I hope is for serious responses, for people to seriously say to Alistair Begg, Brother, you need to rethink this. You need th- that, that wasn't wise counsel that you gave to this woman. Is there something else that you didn't mention that, that would change the character of, of this advice? I, I think we need to very graciously, in light of decades and decades of faithful ministry, uh, go, this seems completely out of character. Uh, could you explain how that is not a fundamental compromise on the part of a Christian person to attend to an anti-sacrament, an, a, 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 an act that is an open rebellion against God's way and God's truth. That's what I would like to hear. You know, there are people, you know, jumping all over it. Okay, it needs to be discussed, but hopefully, graciously, um, and I would, I would hope, since it obviously flew under the radar for, you know, four months, um, almost exactly four months, I would hope that there would be a, a public discussion of it on his part, and an explanation, how is this not? How, how is attending and bringing a gift, how is that not, in some fashion, an acceptance that this is a marriage? It is not a marriage. And no Christian can say it's a marriage. And so, what's going on here? Um, I think that's, that's important, and um, I felt like we need to talk about that, even though it's not Radio Free Geneva, but there you go. Um, we won't be back on till Tuesday, probably. So there you go. So thanks for listening to the program today. Let's let Tim Bushong, even though uh, you know he's a gracious man, we we accused him, uh, we we blamed him for something that really wasn't any of his fault. But he's used to that too because he pastors. <laughs> That's how it works. So uh, we're gonna let him take us out. Thanks for watching the program. God bless. <laughs>